Well, good morning and welcome. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is, and uh, fall is in the air. It's so nice out there. Glad you all are uh, able to be with us today. We just want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church this morning. If you're joining us online uh, via live stream, welcome. Here at East LJ Baptist, we have been captivated by Christ. In Jesus, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God through His perfect life, His sin-atoning death, and His resurrection, uh, His victory over sin and the resurrection. We're thankful today that Jesus today is Lord, and He reigns over all things, and He has captivated us. We as a church exist to spread our enjoyment of His beauty to the ends of the earth. And so it's our prayer that this morning, through our time of worship and our time in the Word, you would see the beauty of Jesus and leave today with your heart captivated by Him. I want to give a quick thank you to our nursery volunteers. Uh, nursery is one of those ministries that uh, is so vital for the young families of any church to, to be able to enjoy worship, and yet it's behind the scenes, and so we want to take, we try to take the opportunity uh, here and there to thank those folks. So if you serve in the nursery, thank you. Um, church, let's thank them for uh, their willingness to serve by taking care of our little ones. I'm going to ask you to uh, stand and join me as we read from God's Word. Luke chapter 18, this will be our text for the morning, verses 9 through 14. And it says, he also, speaking of Jesus here, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm so thankful today that we know the gospel, that we know the message of God's grace in Jesus. We know that for us who are sinners and know it, there's a Savior who gives mercy, and His mercy's there for the asking. And His mercies are new every morning. We praise Him for that. Amen? Amen? But, you know, you've got friends. I've got family members. We have neighbors, co-workers that don't know that good news. And that's why God has left us in this world to spread His glory, to tell of His grace and His mercy for sinners. And so we want to pray for your neighbors. We also want to pray for the nations this morning. Our unreached people group of the day is the Emirati Arabs in the United Arab Emirates. There's 1,154,000 people in this people group with only 0.3%. Less than a half a percent of them uh, are evangelical believers. So less than, less than 3,500 believers among 1.15 million people. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters there as they seek to spread the gospel. 
but also let's pray for God to penetrate in a much greater way the Emirati Arabs of uh, the UAE. Also, join your hearts with me now as we pray, uh, also for some of our own folks and, and those, uh, some folks close to our church as they're either sick or grieving. Father, thank you that we can cry out to you. We can acknowledge our sin. We can hear what you've told us about Jesus. We can trust him. And sinners can be made right with a holy God. Father, may we be bold with the message of the gospel among our neighbors. And Lord, may you raise up from our midst those who would take the gospel to the nations. We lift up the Emirati, Emirati Arabs, Lord, and pray that our brothers and sisters there, the, the small number of believers in such a great um, area and people group, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them to be bold with the gospel as well, and that you would build your church there. And God, today as we gather here, we remember uh, those of our own church family. We pray, Lord, for uh, the family of Martha Chastain, who uh, is rejoicing in your presence today. We continue to pray, Lord, for the family of Herman Aldridge and Charles Meadows. We just pray for Frank and Sheila as they uh, tend to all of the um, needs there in the, in the aftermath of the passing of her father and brother-in-law um, and try to encourage her sister and help them. Uh, just pray for the grace they need, Father. Lord, we also pray for the family of Marty Ballou. Just pray for your comfort. We continue to pray for Steve Fields uh, in his recovery. And, and Lord, we, continue, we also just continue to pray for uh, Sandy Finley with some health issues going on in recent days. Lord, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the freedom we have to gather. Thank you, Father, for the joy and privilege that it is to come together in Jesus' name and gather around the gospel and your precious word and to worship the one true and living God, the only Savior, even our King, Jesus Christ. Lord, we Pray that he would be lifted high, and that as he's lifted up, Lord, draw all men to yourself. Draw people to salvation today. And for us, your people, cause us to find our greatest satisfaction in you, so that you will be glorified all the more greatly in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. We're glad you joined us. Uh, we're going to start off with How Great Thou Art, so sing with us.
Indeed, Father, we are amazed at your grace once again. How can it be that holy, holy, holy God would love us and send his own son to live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and there die the death that we as sinners deserved in our place, be buried three days later raised from the dead and today reigning over all things even as you forever live to make intercession for us Lord Jesus what grace it's not a message we would have ever come up with in our pride and self-righteousness we would have never thought of grace Thank you, Father, for sending your grace to us in Christ. And I pray that now you would open our hearts to your word, that Christ would be seen in all of his glory, that the beauty of your grace and mercy would ring loud and clear into every heart. And, oh, Father, that we would be humbled before you and cry out day after day desperate always for your grace and mercy for Lord Jesus you are worthy of our worship and so we wait on you now we thank you in Jesus name Amen Amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. As they're making their way out. Also, if you uh, have our church app, uh, you can scroll down to the bottom there and there'll be a section that says notes and there you'll find the sermon notes from today, and you can uh, even click in there and take, take your own notes if you want to. So uh, you're allowed to be on your phone for that. Um, <laughs> the scriptures are right in there. Um, as I often say in the words of one of my Hebrew professors in college, uh, if you use your phone for anything else, may the uh, fleas of a thousand camels infest your bed. Philip Yancey, author of a great book called What's So Amazing About Grace, said this, The gospel is not at all what we would come up with on our own. I, for one, would expect to honor the virtuous over the profligate. I would expect to have to clean up my act before even applying for an audience with the holy God. But Jesus told of God ignoring a fancy religious teacher and turning instead to an ordinary sinner who pleads, God have mercy. In Jesus' own words elsewhere, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Of course, we know they do need to repent. They just don't think they need to repent. The gospel's not at all what we'd expect, is it? 
grace for sinners, not reward for supposed righteousness. And yet, our pride wants to rewrite the gospel sometimes, doesn't it? Paul Powell observed, pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be proud of our humility. We can easily become like the Sunday school teacher who, having told the story that we've already read this morning, or fixing to read again, of the Pharisee and the tax collector said at the end of the lesson to her young students, children, let's bow our heads and thank God that we are not like the Pharisee. Now, some of you, that'll register about 2 o'clock this afternoon, but hang in there. I want to talk to you this morning from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, about the prayer that saves. That's the title of the message today, The Prayer That Saves. I want to be clear right up front. It's not a formulaic prayer. It's not some magic charm that if you just say these words, you get saved. It's not some rub-the-bottle prayer and the genie comes out and makes everything happen. It's not that kind of repetitious thing. But the heart of the prayer that we're going to see together this morning is the prayer that saves. And here's the truth I want you to take home. Humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone saves. That kind of prayer saves. Humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone, saves. Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus... God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The point Jesus wants us to get from these verses is that humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone saves. Notice with me, first of all, in verse 9, a targeted parable. This is a parable, very clearly. He tells us, or Luke tells us, that Jesus also told this parable. But what I want you to see is it's a targeted parable. Notice, he told this parable to... Some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, this is a little different. We've seen Jesus give a parable to his disciples about the Pharisees. But in this context, he is giving the parable to the Pharisees. He's looking them in the eye. It's spoken as a face-to-face -face rebuke 
to the self-righteous Pharisees and whoever, even today, who trusts in themselves for their supposed righteousness. Jesus had said back in Luke 16, verse 15, if you're joining us today for the first time, we are working our way through Luke's gospel. It's taken a while, but we're going to make it. Uh, and, and, and just a few months ago now, back in Luke 16, we heard Jesus speak these words, verse 15. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And notice how these who justify themselves before men, they're all about appearances. They're all about having confidence in their righteousness as compared to the righteousness of others. Notice how such folks act. And they treated others, they trust in themselves, and they treated others with contempt. The New Living Translation translates verse 9 this way. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Here's a little... uh, thing you can remember, self-righteousness always reveals itself in contempt and scorn and condescension toward others. So when I find myself looking down on someone, when I find myself talking about how bad others are, when you notice in your life that you think you're better than that person, it's guaranteed self-righteousness is filling our hearts And we're trusting in ourselves and our own supposed righteousness just like this Pharisee. J.D. Greer takes that thought and kind of unpacks it a little bit when he says, We all do this. Religious people look down on non-religious people and think, I'm religious and that makes me better than you. And if you're not religious, you look down on religious people and think, Well, at least I'm an accepting person and not one of those religious hypocrites who's always judging everybody else by their moral standards, not realizing, of course, that even as you say all those things, that you're doing exactly what you accuse the religious person of doing. Perhaps if you're on the political left, you think about how much better you are than those money-grubbing, big business-loving, SUV-driving hypocrites on the political right. But if you're on the political right, you think about how much better you are than those truth-hating, free-loving, big-government-spending, abortion-promoting communist pinkos on the left. And in such a mutually contemptuous society, we live. Always lifting ourselves up above other people. We all do this, don't we? And yet in Isaiah 64, verse 6, the Scriptures tell us we have all become like one who is unclean. And listen... And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. One translation says, filthy rags. But these Pharisees, and sometimes us, didn't believe that. And so Jesus addresses them directly. And he told this parable to those who are trusting in themselves and their own righteousness and who treated others with contempt. A targeted parable. Notice, secondly, though, in verses 10 through 12, a damning prayer. A damning prayer. Verse 10, 
the parable begins, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We've read it twice now. You know what's going to happen. They're both going to pray. And so what we're looking at is how these two contrasting men pray. First of all, the Pharisee's prayer, a damning prayer. Verse 11, the Pharisee. So character number one in the parable is the Pharisee, a good man in society's eyes. Just understand that back in that day, these guys were pillars in their community. They were well respected for all of their religious piety and, and, and almsgiving and, and, and religious deeds. This guy would have been outwardly moral and clean. He almost certainly did not cheat on his wife. He probably had never swindled money in a business deal. He was probably basically honest. He never missed church or synagogue. He checked off all the boxes of respected religious performance. Today, this guy might be a seminary professor. He could be a, a, a local church leader. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, and right here, some manuscripts include to himself. And it kind of sounds like he's praying to himself. Because here's how he prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Joe, I'm right-handed. That wasn't, yeah. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. A damning prayer. Standing by himself, the Pharisee prayed thus. Again, if those man, manuscripts are correct, to himself. Five times in two verses, he refers to himself. The big I. Can I tell you a secret about prayer? If your prayer life includes a lot of eyes, there's surely a problem. Maybe you're just like this guy, talking to yourself. And not really praying to God at all, except in form and pretense. MacArthur says, this is nothing more than a sort of self-induced spiritual soliloquy. Silo in which he talks to himself, and he offers himself congratulations for his moral and religious achievement. It's pretty clear who he worshipped. He asked God for absolutely nothing. Did you see that? He asked God for absolutely nothing because in his view, there's really not anything that he can think of that he needs. He's just glad he's not like those people. He fasts twice a week. Did you see that? I mean, I'm, I'm really spiritual, God. Back in Matthew 6, verse 16, Jesus says to his disciples, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, we are to fast and pray. We're to fast and pray for the Lord's coming 
anticipation and longing for the Lord's coming. We're to fast and pray uh, over all kinds of things. The, the cause of the gospel going around the world to those who've yet to hear. But Jesus said, when you fast, don't let people know about it. Don't go around and look like you're starving to death all afternoon. So that people say, oh, what, what's, are, you, are you okay? Well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting today. <laughs> yes. And maybe I'll make it. Jesus said, that's what they do. Why? Why do they disfigure their faces? Why do they want people to know they're fasting? Because they're fasting to be seen of men. And Jesus said, you know what? They get seen, and that's what they get. Such is their reward. Now again, this guy was very likely better behaved outwardly than others in the community. But Scripture makes it clear that none are righteous. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And right before this, he's made it clear that he's not just talking about those Gentiles, everybody but the Jews, everybody but people like the Pharisees. He said Jews and Gentiles alike. Here's the story. Scripture talked about all of us, the world over, and this is who we are. Verse 18 continues in Romans 3, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Nobody. And finally, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that while this Pharisee may be outwardly better than the people around him, especially that list of people he gave, and especially Mr. Tax Collector over there, the scriptures make it clear that inwardly he was just as corrupt and sinful and condemned by a holy God. Because no one is righteous. All have sinned. Jesus had strong words for the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verse 25, he says, Woe to you, and this is, by the way, in a list of woes, in a list of statements like this where he's condemning the Pharisees and rebuking them. Here he says in verse 25 of Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You, you, you shine it all up outwardly. You got your behavior cleaned up well enough. You, you go through all the religious motions. You tie on the phylacteries that have a piece of God's word in it. And, and you do all these things to make yourself look spiritual. But the reality is, inside you're a hypocrite. Inside you're full of greed. Your heart is full of greed and self-indulgence. Just like everybody else. Who needs Jesus? Again, here in verse 9, we, we learn that the self-righteous to whom Jesus spoke this parable trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. And so this Pharisee prays a damning prayer because, like Jesus' hearers, he trusted in his own supposed goodness, which wasn't real. There is none righteous, no, not one. But notice, thirdly this morning, We've seen a, a, a targeted parable, a damning prayer, but, but notice now, in contrast, a justifying prayer. Here's the prayer that saves. Verses 13 and 
uh, verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14. The parable continues with the starkest of contrast. Remember verse 12, the Pharisee. Now verse 13, the tax collector, but the tax collector. In contrast to what we've just seen and heard from Mr. Pharisee, in contrast, but the tax collector, here comes a totally different kind of prayer. But before we listen to his prayer, let's talk about who he is. This guy is the worst of the worst. He's the scum of society. Tax collectors weren't allowed to testify in court because they lied for a living. Tax collectors weren't allowed to attend synagogue because nobody wanted them there. You see, these were Jewish men who collected ridiculous taxes from their own people for the oppressive Roman government and they were thus considered traitors of their own people. But they also collected ridiculous amounts of taxes to pad their own pockets and make themselves wealthy. The Romans didn't care how much extra they collected as long as they got whatever the assigned percentage and portion was. And so these guys would employ the ruffians of their town you know the ones, the fighters, <laughs> the ones that like have fun by fighting, they would get those guys to be their enforcers, to strong arm the collection of the money from people. And so what ended up happening with the tax collectors is though they were some of the richest people in town through terrible means, they ended up hanging out with the worst of society, prostitutes and criminals because they were also social outcasts, and those were the only folks that would hang out with them. And so it's somewhat shocking that Jesus, in this parable, takes one of those guys. And he said, do you want to know the prayer that saves? Let me, let me, let me, let me introduce you to a tax collector who got it. Verse 13. But the tax collector... Notice where he is, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. This tax collector, he was a sinner. But more importantly, this man knew that he was a sinner in need of mercy from God. Mr. Tax Collector is not praying for a show. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven to pray. By the way, that was common. That was a normal way to pray. Pray looking up to heaven. Talk to God. So aware of his sin was this man that he wouldn't even look up. He was praying in this moment because he knew how desperately he needed God to save him from his many sins. He knew he was a sinner. And notice also, in, again, in great contrast to the Pharisee, his only reference to himself is to acknowledge his need and, and his sin before holy God. God, be merciful 
to me a sinner. It says here in the text, he was beating his breast. Interestingly, in that culture, this was an action predominantly of mourning women at funerals in that day. This is not something that men normally did, except in extreme circumstances of grief and anguish. There's only one other place in the New Testament where this happens, and it was on an occasion like no other in history. It was at the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke 23, verse 48 says, And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, that is, the crucifixion of Christ, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. There had been many, many people crucified by Rome. It wasn't the first crucifixion they had seen. There were two others crucified that day, but the crucifixion of Jesus was unlike any other, even as the centurion said as he beheld him and in his dying words, surely this man was the Son of God. And those people who were there, whether they trusted him as Savior, whether they actually submitted to his lordship or not, they knew who he was. And in anguish like they'd never known, they beat their breasts. So this tax collector is standing away from everyone else, head bowed down in shame, his heart heavy with guilt to the point that he's beating his own chest with his fist, and he cries out to God in desperate simplicity, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What an awesome prayer. That's a justifying prayer. That is the prayer that saves. But I want you to understand there's more to that prayer. There's more packed away in those words than we get at first glance. The word translated here, be merciful, it's not the normal word translated be merciful. We could go on down in Luke 18 and find uh, the same, uh, a different verb translated the same way in another place. But the word's different here. It means give propitiation to me. It, it, it's a word that means give propitiation, not just be merciful, that is be, be soft, kind, good to me. It, it's more than that. What he's really saying in these words, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is this. God, you provide the, the payment for my sins through a sacrifice and apply the righteousness of another to my account. Give me propitiation. That's what the word propitiation means. Now, in this man's mind, in this moment, there at the temple, probably just a few yards from where the sacrifices were being offered, it was those sacrifices that was on his mind. But those sacrifices of the temple were designed to point to the once-for-all sacrifice of the coming Messiah, even Jesus himself who came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world through his perfect life, his sin-atoning death, and his victorious resurrection. we got to look at Romans 3, don't we? Verses 24 to 26 where Paul says, remember this is right after he said, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God in verse 23. In verse 24 he said, and implied all are justified. The only way anybody will ever be justified 
is by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as, there it is, a propitiation. Same root word as our verb back in Luke 18. A propitiation by His blood to be received by faith so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God gave His Son to come and be a propitiation for us by His blood, Paul says. What does that mean? That means Jesus came and did for us what we could never do. He took and endured and fully satisfied God's wrath on our sin. He paid the full price that our sin demanded from the holy justice of God. He, on that cross, bore all of God's wrath. And the wrath of God, the holiness of God, was satisfied. It was poured out, and all of our sins were fully punished in Christ. Is that not mind-blowing? What grace. Who comes up with such a thing but our God? Jesus was a propitiation. Back to Luke 18. So this, this tax collector, he's over there by himself. His head's bowed. He's beating his breast. He knows he's a sinner. He knows his many sins. He's beating his breast because he's wicked and evil and guilty inside. And he needs a Savior. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, give me the propitiation that I need. I can't make myself right with you. I can't undo all that I've done. I can't decide that today I'm going to start living different and somehow make up for all that I've done, much less perfectly obey you going forward. God, I need righteousness from you. More than that, I need someone to pay my debt because I cannot live and pay my debt. The only way I can pay my debt is hell forever under the just, just wrath of God. So this prayer is a justifying prayer because it's a prayer for God to do something this man knows he cannot. To provide something he knows he needs but can never earn or buy or accomplish for himself. This tax collector came asking God to do for him what he could never do for himself. He needed an atonement, and he was begging God to provide one. And hallelujah. <laughs> we just read it. Romans 3, God has provided propitiation, mercy, through the shed blood of Jesus. I, I just, this, I wasn't even planning on going here, but, but while we're at it, propitiation. The, the, the word propitiation, it, it has to do with the mercy seat. Anybody remember the Old Testament? Where did they take the blood of the sacrifice? They took it once a year. The, the, for, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice, sacrifice to cover the sins of the people, and they would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, alone, with the blood of the sacrifice, and they would pour the blood on the mercy seat. 
the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And in so doing, God would be, for that, uh, that, that, that year of sin, be propitiated, be satisfied with that sacrifice. But it was all designed to point to Jesus, listen, who is the mercy seat. Forever. And when we come to Him, it's mercy forever. Unending. A once for all sacrifice. In His substitutionary death on the cross for us, in our place, Jesus has fully satisfied the wrath of God for our sins, so that today we can cry out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Apply Jesus' atonement to me because I know I'm guilty. I know I'm justly condemned by you, and I have no other hope or help or way to be saved without Jesus. Jesus says that kind of prayer is the prayer that saves. That is not a damning prayer that leaves you where you were under the wrath of God because you really aren't praying. You're just asking God to, to bless your goodness. But a justifying prayer that lays hold of the free mercy of the living God. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. kind of shocking that Jesus would use a tax collector and say, you, you want to know about the prayer that saves? The guy that's going to teach you is, a, is, is the most despised among you. But then on the other hand, it's really not all that surprising because in Luke 5, verses 30 to 32, way back, we've already seen Jesus hung out with these kind of people. In verse 30, it says, the Pharisees and their, scribe, their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, they weren't talking to Jesus, but Jesus was there, and Jesus answers them in verse 31 and says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now again, let's, let's go back and and remember Romans 3. Are there any that are truly righteous before holy God? No. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, I came to save those who need a doctor. Those who know they're sick. Those who know they're sinful and are ready to repent. Those are the only people I can save. Because the righteous folks don't think they have anything to be saved from. They don't think they need to repent. They won't repent. They pray, and thank, they pray and thank God that they're not like everybody else. They think God's going to let them in because they're good. Jesus, I didn't come for good people. I came for people who know they're bad and hell-bound because of their sin against holy, holy, holy God. I came for them, the ones who are beating their breasts with their head down afar off from everybody else saying, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The ones that know they need Jesus. Humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone. That's the kind of prayer that saves. Well, Jesus summarizes his rebuke of the self-righteous at the end of verse 14 as he wraps this whole thing up. Notice with me, fourthly here this morning, a humbling principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
This is not just some general principle about humility. This is not just something, you know, if you'll humble yourself, you know, God will honor that later. This is in the context of justification. He's just said that this man went home justified. The one who prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the deal. There's only one attitude of the man, woman, boy, or girl that has been justified by faith in the saving work of Jesus, and that is humility. Humility. How do you know if you're humble? See, the problem is if you think you are, right? If you think you are, then you've just undone that. But, but, but truly, how can you know you're humble when your focus is on Christ and not you? When your focus is on your, your need for God to do everything in your life. Not some litany of self-congratulations for all the stuff you've done in service to the Lord. I mean, I mean, do you think that, that we can fall prey to the, the heart of the Pharisee and the church today? This is yes in 2021, and the answer is absolutely. God help us. In other words, unless you come to God and pray from the heart like the tax collector, you cannot. You will not be justified, made right, and righteous before holy God. You cannot have your sins forgiven until you come to the place that you cry out in your guilt and shame for God's mercy and grace in Jesus. But if you'll do that, then humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone will save you. It'll save you. Paul says in Romans 10, 13, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we pray like this, guess what? God says yes every time. You know what happened in that moment when that tax collector prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner? God was merciful to him. God poured out his grace, provided through the finished work of Jesus at that, at that moment yet to come, but we know it happened and it was paid in full. John MacArthur states it in sort of a stark way. The damned seek God's commendation. The saved seek His forgiveness. And so it is. The good man went home from the temple still damned because he was trusting in himself. That rank sinner though Jesus said went home justified because he knew he needed mercy. He asked God for that mercy and he believed the promises of God that his son came to give saving and everlasting mercy. Let's make it practical. Have you humbled yourself before God and prayed like the tax collector? God, be, apply to me the substitutionary saving sacrifice of Jesus and save me a sinner. If you'll pray that way right now, based on the Word of God, God will exalt you with His grace and forgive you of all your sins and declare you as righteous as Jesus is in His sight.
He'll come to live in your heart, Scripture tells us, by His Spirit and work in your heart to help you grow in obedience little by little until He comes when He'll take you home to be with Him forever. Humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone saves. Do you know that grace today? Have you experienced that mercy today? Have you been saved by this God as you come to him in humble sin confessing? Christ, Christ, hanging on to Christ prayer. Church folks, believers, have you forgotten when you prayed like that? Is it possible that years of church service have made us a lot more like that Pharisee than the tax collector? Maybe we've begun to pat ourselves on the back for all of our many years of not being like that person. When the only reason we can take one step in the direction of holiness and obedience is the grace of the God by grace of God by which we've been saved. Humble, sin-confessing prayer that cries out in faith for the mercy of God in Jesus alone saves. May we not trust in ourselves and our own righteousness. But may we day by day cry out and depend with all of our hearts on the mercy of our great God. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the beauty of your mercy to sinners. And God, how we pray. I pray right now, God, for anyone in this room or under the sound of my voice via live stream this morning who up until this moment, has never cried out to you like this tax collector did. I pray that right now you would grant them the, the humble, sin-confessing heart to, to cry out to you. To plead with you, to give to them what they cannot get for themselves, that is propitiation, the satisfaction of their sin debt, the payment for the guilt of their sin. And that in this moment, they would trust Jesus and believe that he did pay it all, that he is that propitiation, and that by simple, childlike faith, they can today leave this place, leave this moment, sure of the mercy of God to them through Christ. God, how I pray that day by day in the hearts of us, your people, that you would guard our hearts. Help us to guard our hearts by your grace and by your spirit and through your word from self-righteousness. May we never boast, Paul would write, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to us. May he be our only boast. All we pray today for your honor and glory, Father. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship. Just a song of worship here. The altar's open for you to come and pray and seek the Lord however you need to do that. Maybe there's someone on your heart today that needs to know Jesus and you want to come pray for them. Maybe you need to meet him today. I'll be right here at the front and I'd love to introduce you to Christ. The doors of our church are open to receive members any way that we can. And so if you want to join our church family, we invite you to come. Uh, and so let's just respond to the Lord as we sing.
all God's people said. Amen. Amen. May it be so in our hearts and, and even to the nations. Be seated for just a moment. Uh, some quick announcements before we dismiss. Ladies Bible Study continues on Monday evenings from 5.30 to 7. Um, it, it's a study entitled The Voice of God by Priscilla Schreier. Uh, and so join the ladies uh, right here, in um, not in this room, but just down the hall, just inside the front door there uh, on Monday evenings. Crowd to Jesus prayer service has moved to Sunday evenings and is weekly. And so we will be gathered here tonight, 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, not 6.30, but 6 o'clock. Uh, crowd to Jesus prayer service every Sunday evening. So join us as we do just that. Also, Wednesday evening, Chapter 8, Youth and Seeds Kids Ministries continue at 6.30. We do pizza at 6. Kids kind of play and uh, do some things. And then at 6.30, uh, we, we go into our classes and, and have a great time of challenge from the Word of God. So join us for that. Also on Wednesday nights at 6.30, See for Yourself Bible Study. Uh, and also Larry Mullinax's Adult Bible Study, uh, both... Um, 6.30, um, just inside the door as you come in there as well in those first couple classrooms. Next Sunday, October the 24th, we'll receive our quarterly foreign missions offering. We support all of our foreign missions uh, missionaries through uh, quarterly offerings. So four times a year we do these offerings, uh, and the money we collect is how we support our foreign missionaries. God has been good this year and just abundantly blessed us in this way. Be praying how, about how he would continue to do that uh, through you, how you would give generously, sacrificially even, for the cause of the gospel around the world. Also, next Sunday morning, as we take that offering, our new missionaries, Scott and Jenny Phillips, will be with us. They will be here. They're going to share about the work of their ministry, Dow Ministries, and Scott will preach the word to us next Sunday morning. So uh, looking forward to meeting them uh, for the first time for many of us and uh, getting to hear about what God's doing through them in, among the nations, specifically in Indonesia. And uh, just pray for, for that time and, and look forward to that. Also next Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, we will have a youth small group planning meeting. Uh, so we're, we're going to try to get small groups going for, for youth, and, and so we need your help. We need help in a couple different ways. We need adults who will lead those small groups with the teenagers. So we need adult small group leaders, and we also need host homes for those groups to meet in. The plan right now is to meet every other Sunday evening. The idea would be for a host home, there would be some kind of simple meal. Um, ideally, if we could have eight leaders... We have a total of four groups, so a couple leaders per group, uh, and then about eight host homes so that you would only be ideally hosting a group once every month, uh, or once every month. Yes, once every month. Okay. I was checking my own math there. Uh, obviously, not a strong point. So uh, if you'd be interested in that at all, next Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock, uh, you, you won't have a hard time finding us. We'll be the only ones here. Not sure exactly where we'll meet, but we'll get together, talk about that, and begin to plan uh, to that end. So uh, join us if you're interested in that. Also, if you would be interested in a long-term care seminar, uh, if you're reaching that stage of life where you uh, would be interested in learning more about what long-term care is and how that goes, one of our sister churches, Northcutt Baptist Church, will be hosting a seminar on that on Tuesday, November the 7th at 7 o'clock. It's a free seminar, so if, you, if that's of interest, if that's something you've always wondered about, you can go get some free information, figure that out, 
uh, at Northcutt Baptist Church, November 2nd, 7 p.m. Are there any announcements that I've forgotten? I hope not. Good. All right. Sounds good. I'm going to ask, let's see here, Larry, would you dismiss us in prayer?